Hey crew and welcome back to the Beercast. It is your host James Rankin. This week I'm joined on the show by Mr. Logan Gelbich. Logan is someone I'm lucky to call a friend and he's also uh, a fellow overthinker like myself. However, Logan is also a doer. He um, is a coach, a gym owner, a public speaker, entrepreneur, author. He's a former professional baseball player and has competed at the CrossFit Games. So he's kind of done it all. In our conversation, Logan and I dive into all things leadership, what makes a good leader, how to distinguish one, along with a host of other interesting topics. Without further ado, crew, please enjoy the show. So, Logan, I have a question for you. And in our conversation, just before we started here, you kind of you've threw me a little bit with it so I'm going to kind of reword it so from beginning until now what's changed with what you've tried to achieve by opening a gym that's a great question um well I'll I'll answer it this way I think part of the success of the gym you know as I scan the landscape of the gym business. I think one of the things that made us different and specifically successful was having a clearer vision than most as to what we are setting out to do and how we will set out to do it. Um, Now, that being said, I don't think anyone's vision of the future is perfect. And so much of what has transpired inside of this business um, are basically things that couldn't be predicted. You know, you had to go through to get here. And so it's been a bit of a natural evolution. So most specifically, the thing that I didn't really ever foresee was the creation of a nonprofit organization. We call it Deuce Community Inc. And that organization serves three populations. These, these populations sometimes overlap, but it's a uh, system impacted people. So basically people who are currently or formerly incarcerated, um, folks who are homeless and, and or folks who are um, substance impacted. So seeking sobriety basically. And um, yeah, all of this is is emerging naturally, right? So it's not contrived. It's not like, hey, let's sit around a whiteboard and brainstorm ideas about how to be charitable. This is not how this happened. Not that there's, I guess, anything wrong with that. But, you know, uh, a remarkable individual named Campbell Lillard uh, is, uh, I should say, Coach Campbell is um, one of our leaders inside of the organization and he just so happens to uh, have lived experience in that demographic and he reached out to me uh, in this similar ways that that you and I've got to know each other right hey uh, you know I've just gotten out of prison and I have a specific interest in fitness what should I do and I get a fair amount of messages like that um, and almost no one follows up in the way that Campbell has. Right. So if we do the shortest story possible. Basically Campbell um, 
does what is asked of him and then more, right? So he enrolls in coaches prep and he reads all the things I ask him to read and is begging and curious for more. He saves up all of his money to come to the Hold the Standard Summit a few states away from where he was living. Sits in the front of that room, asks every question possible. And at the time he's living in Texas and unbeknownst to me, on his mirror at home, he has um, the words, what are you doing to get to Los Angeles today? Wow. And he hustled and hustled and hustled with a, a program in the park that served um, folks in the sober community. And just as the universe would have it, this community uh, has a position opening in Los Angeles. And so he says, I need to leave no doubt that I'm the candidate to go there. Um, he then proceeds to get the Deuce logo tattooed across his entire forearm because wow. he sent, he senses that uh, he may back out and he may get scared and not come. And uh, long story short, he earned his way out there and, you know, furthermore has earned himself um, a salaried role at the gym. And um, now we have a nonprofit together where we basically select the most incredible human beings I've ever met to come into our organization uh, to learn entrepreneurship, also to learn the craft of coaching, but uh, not just to be mentored, but to be uh, paid to have a job in our system. So uh, that's been sorry for the long story, but that's been sort of something that's unforeseen and extremely powerful uh, because our coaches prep pipeline now has people who have lived experience that makes us all better. You know, one of our employees is still in prison. Uh, he's able to come to the gym during certain times with an ankle monitor. And uh, he's an one of the most incredible leaders I've ever met. Um, he, at the age of 17, was convicted of murder um, in a past life, you know, and uh, and he is currently in a master's program and on his way to get his PhD in psychology. Um, but we get to work with him every day, you know. Wow. And so anyway, that is the that is the most current new thing that we're working on and that's all very specific like I sort of mentioned briefly before we got on um, but I think the, the key thing there is um, when you're creating something new like a new business it's kind of like a, a human life you know yeah. uh, once you have enough safety and needs met for your survival uh, the next most obvious job is to help Right. And so we are no longer a bumbling gym business that's trying to, you know, get enough food to live. Uh, we are thriving and alive and, and safe. And so this is the newer expression of that. Wow. That's unreal. Yeah. It's, what, it's crazy. What a story. Damn, I need to take a second on that. That's. I'll say this, the stories I've heard uh, and the conversations I've had with these individuals who all have lived experience, um, most of them are still uh, in prison. They've earned their way into a, a very elite program, obviously, that allows 
you know, lifers, basically people who are serving 20, 30 years in prison or more, uh, an opportunity to see some semblance of freedom. And um, I'll tell you that in the last five months or so, I've had, you know, eight of the most incredible conversations I've ever had in my entire life. Unimaginable life experience. And there's no reason why these individuals would believe that they have a chance at anything other than a life of pure fear and danger. That is, that is something else. So you kind of alluded to it earlier, like one of the best leaders you've ever come across and he has real life experience. And the idea we kind of, I suppose the idea I kind of have of leadership anyway, or it was in the past was of someone in a suit and tie who stands at the front of the, the, the image I have in my head, which is not what I actually picture a leader to be like, but the image I have in my head is like the Wolf of Wall Street, like someone at the front of a room on a pedestal, like screaming and shouting. But I suppose the more I've kind of lived and the more leaders I've been around, they're less and less and less like that. So I'd love your opinion and your thoughts on it. What makes such a good leader? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think to first acknowledge your, and it's a common one. I mean, I've, I've had the same vision, right? I mean, almost anyone listening is probably like, yeah, the, the archetype of a leader yeah. looks like this and they act like this. And these are the, the traits, you know, um, I'm taking a course right now to even like enrich my, my understanding of leadership and, and one of the key statements is like separating leadership from the traits and tools of leadership, right? Like is leadership charisma and, and good communication skills and decision-making like, is that leadership or is leadership the work that needs to be done to be in leadership, right? It's like separating the attributes from the work of leadership. And um, that's just an interesting perspective to think about, you know, Um, I'll give you our definition. And in giving you this definition, I want to acknowledge what you're saying, because, yeah, you have a lot of great reasons for this tendency, right? And it's not just you, like I have the same one, right? Which is leadership looks a certain way. Usually there's someone in front of the room, maybe they're on a podium, but it's like they are an other compared to the rest of the people. Yeah. Right. Like that's the general consensus. And while there's a lot of positive intent for that definition, I don't think it's that helpful to define it that way. And I think you would agree. Right. And yeah. this, we, we've talked about this before, but to me, uh, I want to have a true definition of leadership for sure. And I think that most people would I don't know, come to find some truth and how I'm about to define it. But more than it just being true is like, maybe we can have a definition of leadership that's just generally more helpful and more fruitful. Okay. And so we define leadership very simply. 
being in leadership is being accountable to the results, period, full stop. Now, that's being in leadership. Your question was, well, what makes uh, a great leader, I think, or what is effective leadership? And effective leadership essentially gets great results because this leader knows how. And getting great results generally looks like adaptation in self and others to move from where you are to where you want to be. Okay, so every person, place, or thing, in my opinion, that is going after some sort of performance, some sort of elevated thing. If you're in business, the performance is to grow the business and and do well. If you're in sports, it's to win. If you're in the military context, it's to defeat the enemy, whatever. Almost all people, places, and things that are on a mission to accomplish something, which is why we require leadership, they are managing a gap between our current position and where we want to go. And if there was no gap, we wouldn't really need leadership because there would be no challenge present. We would all just be like, all right, like morning, we woke up and tonight we'll go to bed and all's well. We don't, we don't have to do anything. Right. Yeah. But leadership becomes relevant when there's a challenge present. And the, the most common challenge is we are not where we want to be. And Leadership takes responsibility for that dissatisfaction, right? Followers say, hey, we're not where we want to be. What the hell, (laughs) right? And the leader goes, no, I know, like we're working on it and here's how we go, right? And so to me, the the most uh, powerful um, definition of leadership is the one that I gave you, which is that you are ultimately responsible for the results, good or bad, good and bad. And the helpful part of that definition is if you really apply that definition, uh, how many people can be in leadership? If you have a team of 20 people, how many people can be in leadership? Well, the answer is 20. All 20 people can say, you know what, I'm going to take up responsibility about what of this dissatisfaction or this gap is my responsibility if a failure arises everyone points their finger to themselves which is you know maybe that's like a bit of a utopia um but i think it's possible i've seen it done right that's why i think it's possible and um to me that's just a much more helpful definition yeah that's that's awesome i love that with that so you kind of said it earlier and now you're mentioning it as well, like this idea of ownership and you look for the most motivated, committed people and give them opportunities. How then in an organization, because this is obviously what you do with the whole, whole the standard and the, the leadership stuff that you do, but how then do you help people who maybe have a team where not everyone on the team is willing to take ownership and they aren't highly committed, and they don't want all the same things, can you bring those people around, or what's what's the way to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, it's funny. 
The only reason why I have an answer to your question is because it's the most common problem with what I teach because a younger version of me who used to get in front of a room full of people who are like, okay, how do I do the thing? How do I make my team quote unquote high performance? Essentially the story I would say, and the, the picture that I would paint would be our model of development of culture, which we've talked about before. And I, I think you've seen the, the cartoon model, but essentially it starts with a rite of passage, right? You have a lot of people who say they're interested in the thing and then they go through some sort of rite of passage and in sports, it looks different in the military. It looks different in business. It looks different. It almost doesn't matter what specifically that rite of passage is, but a great rite of passage will either develop or filter for trust and willingness. Okay. And so uh, let's say a hundred people sign up because they're interested in the thing. Only 20 of them make it through. That means 80 people uh, were not coming on the other side of this rite of passage with more trust and willingness. So those 20 people look around and say, Hey, we've been through a thing that was difficult. And because we did that together, we demonstrate to each other that we are able to do more together than otherwise. And then this sets the stage for this leadership dynamic that we talked about. Now, the problem with that is um, I'm telling this story from the position of an entrepreneur who did that in the beginning. And everybody else in the room's like, yeah, like, but it's not the beginning for us. We, yeah. <laughs> everybody's here. <laughs> what do we do now? And so uh, I had to, to basically learn the answer to your question through dealing with people who were in the fight already with unmotivated people or, or people who were already on the team and we never talked about all this. What are you talking about? You know? So here's the tool. And this is what I find is very successful is you can intervene midway through the history of a group at any point. And what I find is if you can articulate this well, this intervention uh, is really exciting for the group. And so you have to offer a choice because if there's no choice, then you're basically telling people how to be, and that will never be one coming with uh, agency and ownership. Right. So here's how it goes. You say, um, more or less team. I'm excited to elevate our performance inside of this organization. And what I've come to learn is that teams and organizations that have increased levels of willingness to do hard work and be there together and increased levels of trust, meaning that we can exchange negative feedback better than probably we can right now. We would, we would benefit across the board. We would be able to be more successful than we are right now. Now, if that's of interest to you, you can make a choice to do this extra thing with me. Now, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. Your role can be the same and, and your job won't be affected. But I want to make like a, almost like a, a little task force on this team. And what's going to look like is a little bit more hours and a lot more responsibility and increased expectations. And you'll be paid more for it. But 
you have to choose it. I can't make you do it. And so basically you're setting this new environment. And then so people can opt in to this increased level of responsibility and leadership. And if someone chooses that, then you can hold them accountable, right? You can say, hey, I didn't break your arm to be here, right? Like, this is what we agreed to do. And I know that it's tougher, but we're saying that the juice is worth the squeeze, right? And if you do that, people, I think the right people will emerge. Yeah. And I, I, one caveat is I would, anybody who wants to try to do this, is I would say tolerate attrition, okay? Because attrition is a great sign of a rite of passage, right? Like, you know, pick your favorite football team. A lot of people want to play. Not that many people get to play. Yeah. Right. And so if you do the, this little meeting that I'm talking about and you have a team of five people, but only one guy emails you and says, Hey, I'm in rather than be upset that the four others didn't join you. Be grateful that you have one person to join you to elevate this thing. And, and I think people underestimate what you can do with two highly motivated people. Wow. That's a great little story you have there. I've seen the I've seen the graphic a lot of times. I, I think I actually have that little it's the the input one and then the the machine the and conveyor belt. Yeah, exactly. That, that people come out and then people who, who yes. make it the whole way through. Yeah, cool. So that's where this idea that you talk about as well of commitment comes into things. Where say these people commit to doing the thing. Yeah. So for people then who maybe aren't in a position where they're they're not entrepreneurial like yourself maybe they're more like in a position I'm in but let's say I was working somewhere where I didn't have a a a boss or a leader who valued those same things and if I was say looking for that next level up you talk about the idea of commitment and highly transferable skills, how can they, why should they perform at their highest level there and then, even though yeah. they're not where they want to be? Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah. This is another classic question or situation that comes up in the summit, right? Which is someone is highly motivated to, to maximize their, their self and their performance and evolve who, who they are. Uh, but maybe they're not in charge in the organization. Maybe they're not the yes. owner. Maybe they're not the policymaker. Maybe they uh, only manage one department of a much bigger company. Right. Yeah. And um, the, the answer that I have for that question is um, bittersweet. It's a paradox, which is one, if you want to make organizational change, you'll eventually need, buy-in and sign off from the people above you okay so let's not misunderstand this you're not going to be able to be an entry-level person and reorganize your corporation it's not how that's going to happen however there are group benefits and individual benefits to seeking your own peak expression and that's a whole rabbit hole we can go down the, the book i wrote and everything like that um but here's the way that you slice it, in my opinion, which is uh, it never pays to be a victim. Never. 
there's no scenario where you say, Hey, well, my hands are tied. So I'm just going to roll out a B plus and uh, slightly resent my boss for it because, you know, only if my boss would let me do X, Y, and Z uh, would life be better. There is no scenario where that leads to happiness and fulfillment and peak expression. So like any stoic master of performance, uh, you would need to ask the classic question, what of this is inside of my control? And until you've maximized those elements that which you're, are inside of your control, you don't really have enough time in the day to complain about your boss or anyone above you, right? Yeah. And, and my thing is I just haven't met anyone who has finished the list of things that are inside of their control. Right. And, and I know that sounds like a bit of like a ranty rah, rah thing that can kind of dismiss reality, but let's bring reality back into this. Let's say you're a mid-level manager or let's use the gym experience a little bit. Say, let's say you're a coach or a head coach, or you're just a coach on staff and your owner doesn't get it. Right. And and you're having a hard time. A lot of, a lot of people can re- resonate with this, yeah. um, especially gyms where like the owner is just like an investor and he's like not present or something. Um, nothing drives change more than straight up gangster ass, incredible performance. Yeah. Right. Like leave no doubt is what I like to say. So if you're inside of an organization that's sort of like putzing along, dragging its feet or whatever, but you have a band of two or three people that are absolutely getting after it. Your communication is insane. The the performance is insane. You're creating, you're executing on your account, your, what you're accountable to. That becomes such a contrast in everything else that's happening in the organization that it's sort of like, uh, gets people looking. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? What's going on over there? Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's the classic leadership thing. We started this podcast off with defining what leadership is. If leadership is you own the gym and you have the bank account to your name and you're the quote unquote CEO, then yeah, there's nothing we can do. We should all just sit on our hands and just say, Hey, that's the leader. And it's not me. But if leadership is being responsible for the results, it's like, I think, Everyone who's listening to this podcast right now could level up inside of what's just only inside of your control in a way that would make anyone around you who is just putzing along uncomfortable. And that's the type of discomfort that I like. If you can't make all the decisions, make it so uncomfortable for you to be a mediocre motherfucker next to you, right? Like, fuck, it is so, it's palpable. It's thicker than fog how obvious it is that something special is happening right there. And we all are pretending, right? Yeah. I love that. And that tends to people then have two choices where they, they either, if they're the person being mediocre, surrounded by other people trying to be, like you said, straight up gangsters, they either have to level up or they leave. hundred percent. And if they leave, they're not willing to find that peak expression. And if they level up, it's a win-win for everybody, right? Oh, hundred. I mean, 
it's better for everybody. Like, this is why I say I love attrition. There's so yeah. many people that I've had to not explicitly sit down and say, hi, you're fired. I haven't had to do that because it, how it manifests is, hey, like, I think I'm, I'm going like, to yeah. become a thing. And like, it's, you know, like no hard feelings, but I'm, I'm going to do this instead. And, you know, it's like a great opportunity. It's like, yeah, sweet. Awesome. See you later. You know, we don't need to talk about why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. I've seen that many, many, many times. Um, peak expression. Why is that such an important thing? I know that's kind of similar to what we were just saying, but, or sorry, let's rephrase the question. For you in your role, roles, plural, now, what does peak expression look and feel like to you? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a good question. It's a big question. I think um, first to answer your second question, I think that uh, continually choosing environments that will grow my capacities is the single most important thing that I can do. Now, inside of that comes some responsibility well, a lot of responsibility and some built-in vulnerability. So what I'm what I'm not saying is continue marching forward and leave a path of you know smoldering failed projects behind you. You know, sometimes people ask me in a interview situation like this, like, well, how do you do so many different things? And I usually say, well, it's not what it looks like. It's not like I'm just doing so many things. I, I think the, the goal is to do something well enough and to, to build it well enough such that you can do that and another thing, right? Meaning like going to write the, the book that I wrote wouldn't destroy the business that I built. And then, you know, after writing the book, starting another business wouldn't destroy the, you know, the part of my work that is teaching leadership and the, and the gym business that I built, right? It's like, can you truly transcend and include, right? And so that, that garners best practices, it garners building things in a way that are robust and sturdy. And that is a challenge in and of itself. So for me, it's a, it's a pretty, it's pretty agnostic to the specifics. I almost, you know, beyond being interested and it demanding my best, I'm not really saying that I need a fitness flavored um, expression of my pursuits. Um, But I I think your, your first question is, is maybe the biggest and most interesting, which is this sort of esoteric one of, well, why should pursuing a peak expression be important in the first place? And I'll try to answer it even deeper than the, the nitty gritty, like specifics of the book. um, Because I think that's really what you're asking. I think that pursuing your peak expression is only important because human beings are 
mean making creatures. We need to create meaning or none of this matters. Yeah. Right. Um, that's a, that's in your DNA. And as much as we want to pretend that like, that's not true. And it's like nine to five, get a job, eat good food, sleep a lot, be happy. That's life. Right. We all deep down know that I think that's not life. Right. And, and creating meaning is critically important. I would argue that there is no feedback loop more rich for finding and creating meaning than the types of pursuits that would reflect back to you, your peak self, meaning it's choosing the thing that stretches you to a new place, no matter what it is, is the type of pursuit that gives you meaning, right? You, you are introduced to yourself in a way that you can understand yourself and be more of an asset to the world. If you're choosing a pursuit that would continually develop you towards your peak expression. And so it's less about the peak. In my opinion, it can be about the peak, right? If it was about the peak, then like, was Michael Jordan, right? Cause it was supposed to be basketball yeah. or like, was the president, right? Cause it was supposed to be about politics or is like Elon Musk, right? Cause life is about pursuing Mars. Like the peak <laughs> yeah. is not the thing. the thing. It's, it's the pursuit that introduces you to yourself and gives you more capacity to create meaning on this very yeah. short planet, you know? And so I think that's, that can be liberating to folks who are like, well, I don't know what to do with my life. It's like, yeah, well, me either. But uh, <laughs> when you start to get curious about the things that challenge you, it'll show you the way. You took the words out of my mouth there. That's where this idea of curiosity comes into it. It's like, but what am I interested? It's, what am I interested in? How deep can I go in this? And maybe if you're lucky, you might be able to make a living off it someday. Yeah. Imagine the pressure of thinking that you need to figure out what your purpose in life is. What the f- <laughs> and it only gets harder. It only gets harder the older you get. Yeah. So you're like, all right, like I'm 35. Like, let's let's bring out the whiteboard. Like, let's see. Like, is it is it rugby? Like, maybe it's rugby. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me spend 30 years playing rugby to find out. Oh fuck, I was wrong. It wasn't rugby. Shit. Let let's guess another. No, that's not. This is not a not an accuracy contest. This is a cure an an exercise in curiosity, right? Yeah. And, and if you put this on a pedestal, you're, you're really set up for disappointment. Yeah. So what are you curious about at the minute where you're doing the nonprofit stuff? Yeah. But what else? I mean, yeah, the, the, the the nonprofit I think is an evolution of the expression of what, what deuce is like truly an evolutionary purpose, right? Like if one of the first things I did to the facility when we were building it was I etched in like a little piece of crappy scrap wood. I love uh, this. Like etched this sign that said motivated people only. Right. And it was like this kind of tongue in cheek thing. I mean, it's not the first time anyone's ever said that or put it on a shirt, but it was sort of this thing that's like surface level. You're like, Oh, that's, 
like means you only have to be a badass who's motivated to to go there and and it actually means the opposite it means anyone can come in here and the only thing you need is a little bit of motivation yeah right it's like a welcome sign well you know before the nonprofit that wasn't really true i mean that was only true the, the sign should have said uh motivated people only who have a personal income of six figures and live within you know, five miles of here and yeah. are willing to do functional fitness, right? It's not really what it is. But with this nonprofit, it's like you, you don't even need your freedom to be welcome there, Yeah. right? You don't even need to have a home to be welcome there. You don't need to have an income. You don't even, right? Like now, if you're motivated in any capacity, you're welcome there, right? And, that, and that's just a natural evolution thing. Yeah. Um, quick tangent but you know i think my answer is the same as it was i think the last time we spoke which is and i alluded to this just now with the sort of peak expression thing i view all of these things as vehicles you know baseball was a vehicle for a while entrepreneurship is a vehicle so my my current challenge is sort of being expressed with the hold the standard summit and really being expressed in my new company, I started a creative agency called Agency Standard, which is, can the principled understandings that I have about performance from sport and entrepreneurship, can I articulate that to anyone in any industry And the agency is really pushing me to communicate and understand and devise strategy to create value in companies and industries that I know nothing about. You know, it it is a progression of the summit because the summit was a two day course where like, well, I I will teach you the principles of these things. But uh, when Sunday comes around, you're on your own. Like, I'm not in your company. I'm not invested in your company. I'm over. I'm at home, right? But the agency is, I'm in your company now. And for the next months, years, I have to figure out how to actually make this go in a non-hypothetical way. I got to help you make your app sell for 500 million bucks, or I got to help you launch a new product in a market that I don't know anything about. And so that's like another level of accountability to the things that I'm running my mouth about at the summit, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Wow. You being accountable to the results, huh? In a very, very literal sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. And business is hard. You know, that's why I like it. You know, it's, it's hard. Wow. You spoke about communication a couple of times today and I've, I've not dived on it, but it's a conversation I was having today with um, my boss, Jamie. Um, and we, we have it, I'd say once a week, every week, we have it at coach prep all the time in a very obvious setting. It's like, how can we communicate as clearly as possible, how to do the fitness thing. But this idea of communication, was it? It might have been you I was listening to on a podcast. I can't remember. But this idea that being a clearer communicator will just help you in every area of life. 
like it'll make your relationship at home better with your partner, with your parents, with your boss, with the taxi driver when you need a lift home at two o'clock in the morning, like being able to communicate clearly, effectively, and in a way that relates to the person just makes everything better. I believe it was you said that. I'm sure it was. But when did you start to realize that, that you, one, that you could communicate quite well, and two, that it was super effective when you communicated better? Yeah, I mean, I think we learn anything with a sense of, you know, um, urgency uh, because of pain, you know? I mean, probably if you look backwards in your life, like most of the biggest learnings come from from pain, you know, that we want to resolve that. And so I think that there's an untold number of, instances where you're sort of slapped across the face with the importance of communication uh, if you're doing anything in life and especially if you're doing difficult things in life like business or being in a relationship or you know these are all very challenging things you know and so I think I've always been made to know that uh, you know if and when my communication is ineffective you know I think that part of learning myself, you know, just to speak freely about me and my, you know, shortcomings or or weak spots is I'm a cerebral person. Like I, I prefer to be alone and I prefer to be in my own head. I prefer to think and speaking is often a, a burden. I feel like when I feel like I'm repeating myself or sharing things that I already have resolved in my mind that it can be like a waste of time. So, so, I mean, it's, that's generally my disposition. Now, knowing that is a lot more powerful than not knowing that, which for a lot, big part of my life, I didn't know that. Um, you know, the worst question you could ask me is like, how was your day? It's like, well, I already did my day. I don't want to tell you about it. You know, <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about something new, you know? Oh. And, um, so now having some awareness around that uh, helps me realize that, wow, left to my own devices, I'm probably going to communicate way less than I need to, you know? And then you add that into getting into entrepreneurship. Like there's a quote in Coaches Prep 101, um, the Napoleon quote, which is your um, – I'm going to paraphrase. It says, um, you must not make your orders easy to understand. You must make your orders impossible to misunderstand. Right. And it's like, damn, like that's heavy, you know? Yes. Um, This is a tangent, but also Rams at home. There's an incredible video, viral video kind of thing on, on YouTube of a father And he has his two young children in the frame and he's doing an exercise with them, which is they're supposed to write down the instructions of how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And the lesson is 
they're making all kinds of assumptions when they're writing things down. Like they're saying, um, you know, the first time around it says, put the peanut butter on the bread. And so the dad takes the bottle of peanut butter and he just puts the bottle on the bread. And then they're like, no, 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 dad, dad, come on. And then they try it again. And, and it's this exor- silly exercise in communication, you know, yeah. but we're doing that all the time, omitting things, making assumptions, being vague, being subjective, you know? So I don't know if you do life enough, it'll tell you how poorly you communicate. I think. <laughs> yeah. This is, it's amazing that you said that we have, we're running uh, an internship in the gym at the minute, um, which is really cool and really exciting because it means I get to coach people to be coaches. Mm-hmm. And obviously communication as a coach is huge and you know this, but it, one of the things Jamie wrote today on the board and I loved it. And you've just said pretty much the same thing. And he wrote on the board, he said, a big dog ran straight at me. And it's like, there's clear information there. Like there's a dog, not a cat. It's running mm-hmm. to me, not to the left, not to the right. But you don't know what type of dog it is, how big it is. If it's running full pelt to eat you, if it's running full pelt to give you a big kiss, if it's just jogging, but you interpret it as a run. And it's like, your communication can seem clear. And that Napoleon quote is really good. But unless you have all the minutiae in there as well, and you can't assume that people know what you mean, then your communication is really vague. Yeah. And I love that Napoleon quote. That is, I'm going to go look up exactly what it is and I'll find out. I'll put it in the links. Yeah. It's, um, it's so critically important. And I think that beyond the, the techniques and the specifics of, communication like what you say and how you say it um you know another thing that we talk about in coaches prep is like it's not what you say it's what is heard yes it's not even how you say it right like these all contribute right like if you say uh, specifically things better and more clear that will help and if you say them in a way that will lead to them being perceived like you're not yelling at someone uh that will help but above all it's it's only what is heard that matters yeah you know and um have i shared with you the the five perceptual positions we talked about that no we should go through it so you know anyone who wants like a quick framework to improve their communication um this is like top of the list for for us for me um there are basically five distinct perceptual positions so these are perspectives and so in any communication dynamic especially a disagreement a negotiation a challenging conversation i would recommend deploying these five perspectives this becomes exponentially more helpful if the person you're talking to is aware of the five perceptual positions, right? So after I share this with you, you'll understand the value in communicating these perceptual positions to your team because they can't unknow them. And then when you reference them, uh, everyone's on the same page. So here's how it goes. First perceptual position is self. This is the most common one. This is the one that we are in almost all day long 
Okay. This is life through your eyes. Now, if I, you know, really understand the perception of self, I need to realize that I see the world in a biased, untrue, filtered way that is specifically not the truth. It's my interpretation of the truth in any situation. And how I see that is based on my value structure, where I grew up, what happened to me as a kid, what my favorite color is, how much sleep I got last night, my personal preference in learning, all these things filter for your perception of the moment. The second perceptual position is other. Okay. So in our conversation right now, you have a perspective of this moment, especially being on Zoom, that is completely different than mine. I mean, it's in it's four in the afternoon there. Yeah. It, the sun is just coming out here. All of these things contribute to that. But furthermore, to really understand the second perceptual position, it is taking the idea of putting yourself in someone else's shoes and putting that like on steroids. Right. In order for me to understand this conversation from your perspective, I would need to have grown up where you grew up. I would need to be as tired as you are or as hungry as you are. Every single element that makes up your experience, I would need to be privy to that. The third perceptual position is the, um, the perspective of observer. So this is like an emotionless third-party view of this scenario. So if we were sitting at this table right now, the way I would describe it is if we could leave our mind and go over there and be like behind like a pane of glass and remove our names in the background story and any connection to us and observe this conversation, it's taking on that view. And that's very difficult. Uh, It's a lot of people are not able to do that. A lot of people aren't even able to do the second perceptual position. But when you do that, you can understand like a lot more makes sense. You're kind of like on the balcony there. You're like, oh, these are these two guys. Like, of course, they're talking about this thing. That's their universe. And I can see how that matters to them, but not really to me. And, and, and that type of perspective. The fourth perceptual position is that of the group, which is extremely helpful in teams and companies and things like that. Right. Like your gym, for example, has a perspective it has a personality it has needs it has wants it has things that um, are important to it values and that is a perspective that is not yours it's not the students it's not the owner it's the gym itself the group and the fifth perceptual position is uh, you can call it source it's like the best version of humanity or god or love or whatever and now that you have those five perspectives, you can go into any situation, you know, any he said, she said type situation and uh, run through those five perspectives and get a truer expression of truth, a truer uh, aggregate of, well, what's truly happening here? And most people are just living in their first perceptual position and tripling down on their biased view of the world as if it's the truth. Uh, how how then do you go from one to the next and then to the next and then to the next yeah it's a it's a uh it's an act of empathy which Mm -hmm. is 
can you disassociate from your entrenched truth, right? Like say, for example, uh, we're buddies and you rent a room for me and uh, it's the fifth day of the month and you haven't paid me the rent. It's classic disagreement, right? Yeah. So what's my perspective? Fuck you. Pay me the money. It's five days late. (laughs) Yeah. What's your perspective? My mom just died. I'm working two jobs. The bank screwed me over. I have the money. I I value being on time, but all of these things have happened. And I feel as though I'm being attacked because I've never been late on the rent. The third person observer is way more compassionate than both of us, right? It's like, oh yeah, this happens all around the world all the time. The dude's five days late. He's going to pay probably on the sixth day. It's fine. This guy doesn't really need the money. I, this totally makes sense. Like I want to just pat them both on the head and be like, that's, it's going to be okay. Right. You see what I'm saying? And so you can yeah. move through that, but you can only do that if you're, you know, willing to disassociate from your own perspective. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's, that's really cool. That's something to work upon. Yeah. Next time you get in an argument with somebody, I bet if you just tell them that quick story, the argument will be over in two seconds. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. I'll let yeah. you know if it works. Uh, yeah. Logan, I'm very conscious of your time and I appreciate that we've done this on a Saturday. So just before we go, for those who don't follow you, I've probably shared your your stuff on my Instagram a hundred thousand times. So if they don't follow you, they probably never will. If they don't do it now, they never will. <laughs> but uh, where can people find you if they want to know more about what you do, what you're about and all of that stuff? Yeah, I'm um, at Functional Coach, all one word on Instagram and Twitter. Um, the website, deucegym.com, is a great place to find all of our continuing education in the Deuce University side of things. There's a daily blog, um, and those are like short, helpful reads. And um, yeah, you can learn about everything that we're doing there. Uh, I do want to say that in March, I'm coming to to spain so anyone in europe um is a two-day course uh that is worth your time no matter what industry you're in and uh yeah if you're hearing this and you're interested hit me up and i can send you an early bird thing for that and uh all i'll say is rumor has it we may have a a special guest this year Ooh, that's a big tease yeah that's a big tease um before we go i'll just say that i i followed logan for years i have his book i've gifted his book you have a book as well i have your book i've gifted your book to i think six or seven people now and it's not something i kind of give out i'd love to say i've gifted it to like 100 people but it's something i only really give to people who i think it will actually have an impact on them and and not just and not just fucking about you've also done i don't know how many podcasts you have your own podcast series you have an online course which i've done and loved on coach prep you have business prep you have the whole the standard summit so there's 101 ways to to find out more about logan and i couldn't recommend you more i'm i'm a big fan girl of you <laughs> and yeah thanks bro. um so yeah, if you want to know more about Logan team, you can either let me know or or reach out to him on Instagram. Logan, thank you so much for coming on, dude. Thank you. I love I love talking with you. Thank you.